my name is Jake. I'm another one of the pastors here. You met Chase earlier, the drummer. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, it is good to see you. I know it would have been easy to kind of uh, hunker down with that weather that came through a little earlier. And uh, so I'm just glad you're here. Uh, such beautiful worship um, to sing that, you know, that we're prone to leave the God we love. Like, very honest. And uh, it feels good to be that honest. And uh, so, uh, uh, again, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Kristen outlined, you know, Josh and Meg and, and several of the other folks are in, in South Africa now as we speak. And we'll be there for the next uh, 10 days or two weeks, whatever it was. And uh, so, so I'm here for you. Uh, we do this every year now. Uh, the last couple of years, we've, we've come together in the summer and tried to give Josh a little bit of a, a rest. And so the elders, there are four others other than Josh, uh, will be speaking. And then Chris Cole and Andrew Gaspard, our interns, will be speaking this summer. And so the last two years, we've done some themes. We've done uh, the letters in Revelation last year. The year before that, we did a walk through James. And those were, in my opinion, extremely good because I preached. I preached it. <laughs> you know. um, no, I got a lot out of it. Of course, you get a lot out of it when you have to study something and you're kind of nerve-wracked to stand before you guys. Um, but uh, that's, this is our start this year. I'll, I'll start for you. We're just going to walk through some psalms. Uh, Josh has given us a good bit of freedom. And so tonight, I'll be in Psalm 73. Um, extremely random. Uh, to me, extremely random. Not something I was familiar with. Josh took a few psalms off the table, not to, you know, to tell everybody the business. But uh, he said, you know, there's some that everyone's familiar with and have been preached uh, thoroughly. And so go ahead and find a psalm that you'd like to walk through. And, and the, I feel like God really gave me this psalm. I had just recently read it before we had decided to do psalms. And uh, it really struck me um, for two reasons. Because it's extremely honest. Again, I, I walked up here talking honesty. And, and honestly, it's, it's a relatable to me. And I don't know if you'll find it the same way. Um, I hope you will. So one of the, uh, the cool things about Psalm 73, and you have to forgive me, I'm uh, maybe I should know this, but uh, Psalm 73 was written by Asaph. That's, that's how I'm going to pronounce his name. I think there's different pronunciations, but it's Asaph. And so um, he wrote 12 of the Psalms. And he wrote, uh, he wrote 50, and then he wrote, I'm sorry, he wrote Psalms 50, and he wrote Psalms 73 through 83. And so by writing 12 uh, Psalms, he's, he's written a great deal more of the Bible than, than some of the, the big guys, right? The, uh, the Titus and James and Peter, all the minor prophets. Like, this dude kind of came out of left field for me personally. I don't want to speak on your behalf. So, so Asaph um, actually was David's choir director. Um, uh, aside from writing the 12 Psalms, he is actually attributed with uh, penning, composing, putting to music almost all of the psalms for David. So he was his, his master choir director. So this is, this is Asaph. And I'm, he, he writes a really gritty, real, relatable psalm. And we're going to get to that in a second. But let me lay some groundwork uh, about Asaph for a second. Because it will really uh, shed some, some even more light on a, on a very honest psalm. And so... Asaph was uh, 20 years when he was enlisted, 20 years old, around 20 years old. It might, might have been between 20 and 30. Um, 
for David, David always took priests uh, earlier. Most of the priests began to serve when they were between 30 and 50. Asaph was a Levite priest. Uh, he came into David's temple, into actually the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was held. Um, and he began to serve as choir director in his, in his 20s. Who's in their 20s tonight? Would you mind lifting your hands up? Oh, my gosh. Just drains on the economy, I tell you one. No, I'm sorry. Uh, tricked you off. Uh, <laughs> no. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in your 20s and coming under the, under the uh, I don't want to say tutelage, but that's a really pretentious word. Uh, so tutelage of a David, a King David, right? So he comes into, and not only just King David, he's in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant is held, and he's tasked with composing praise music. So this is Asaph. So Asaph serves. Uh, let me not miss anything. Um, Asaph serves all the way through David's reign until his death. Uh, if you can remember, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, follows up on his father David, begins to serve. And uh, Solomon, of course, God gave David the word that from your lineage, you will bear the Messiah, right? And so uh, there was a um, section of people who believed that actually Solomon was the Messiah. And coupled with that, Solomon, having great favor with the Lord, uh, spoke with the Lord twice. The Lord said, I will, I will give you what you ask for. Solomon asked for wisdom. Uh, I'm just kind of keeping you up. This is not a sermon about Solomon. But... Solomon asked for wisdom. This pleased the Lord greatly. So he gave Solomon a lot more than wisdom. Uh, power and, and riches and might. And so uh, here we are. Uh, Asaph sitting right there. Uh, having a front row seat to a reign of David. A reign of Solomon. Now if you remember uh, Solomon's kingdom didn't go well. Uh, he began to crave more and more than the abundance that the Lord had given him, right? So the Lord had given him such a great portion. Um, and he craved more. He craved uh, human wisdom. He began, to take, um, he began to take advice from advisors that had come into the kingdom. He began to seek more riches. He began to seek things above and beyond what God had provided him when God had bestowed upon him so much. And honestly... Uh, there was a point there where he uh, married uh, an Egyptian woman. And so a new lineage, a lineage came into the kingdom. And so through his, through Solomon, I've kind of stepped away from Asaph for a second, but through Solomon's uh, craving and hunger and greed and, and, and all of this, basically the kingdom is, is divided and destroyed. Uh, not, not quite destroyed yet, but it's divided. And he just totally turns his back on God. Solomon, this person who had such favor and had such wisdom, they call him the wisest man who's ever walked the earth, right? So uh, wisest man who's ever walked the earth became too wise and started looking for things that, that weren't his, that weren't for him, that weren't good. They were above and beyond. They weren't above, but they were beyond God's portion for what he had. Destroyed the kingdom. In his pursuit for riches and more power and more knowledge and false gods and give me this, give me this, give me this, he began to need more, right? You, to run that sort of empire, you're needing more collateral. And so he began to take the people in and oppress his people. He began to enlist slaves and began to step on the people's necks and, and use them uh, uh, in slaves. He began to bestow more taxes. 
Asaph's brother was Zechariah. I just keep throwing in famous names, right? So Asaph's brother was Zechariah, served in the same, in the same uh, temple. Solomon's, uh, another weird word, henchman, <laughs> uh, henchman of Solomon, killed Zechariah. So here is Asaph. Uh, you know, he, he, he starts at 20. He sits under the rule of David, uh, just an amazing king. Uh, a celebrity, uh, um, just just a a huge king, a huge king in our in our history. Um, watches Solomon take a, a beautiful kingdom. It, it's said that he he probably could have said he was sitting in the golden age and watched Solomon just drive it into the ground. Now, by the time Solomon died, uh, the kingdom was torn in two. Um, there was uh, the next king was Solomon, one of Solomon's sons, Rehoboam. And so here's Asaph, uh, still serving, still serving in the temple. And so David, Solomon, a little bit of Rehoboam. So he started when he's 20. It's believed that he wrote Psalm 73 when he was 100 years old. And 100 years of life, excuse me, I, I've been under the weather this week. I'm, I'm sniffling. I'll try not to sniff on the diva mic. Uh, so... I wanted you to know that because the psalm is wonderful if you read it alone. But when you know the backstory, it has a lot, a lot, a lot more power, a lot more, a lot more to think about, actually. So let's let's begin. I'm gonna I want to read uh, Psalm 73. Let's read verses uh, one through three. Excuse me. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled; my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now remember, let's, let's think about it. 20 to 100. Let's think 80 years of watching good regimes, bad regimes, wickedness, uh, goodness, prosperity. He's, he's run the gamut, right? He's an old man now. He's writing this. And he's talking to God honestly. And he's saying, God, you are good. But I have come close to stumbling. I've, I've seen this prosperity. I've seen these evil men in your temple, and I've wanted what they've had, right? So don't, don't let me speak poorly and walk through the psalm and you not pick up on the practical steps. Like, I've seen this. I've seen wicked. I've seen arrogant. And I wanted what they had because what they had was just so seemingly wonderful, right? Riches and power. So this is his confession that he saw and that he envied. Now, Jake, you might say, Jake, who, who are these people, you know? So I've tried to tell you a little bit about these people, but he tells you who these people are in great words. Um, we'll read 4 uh, through 12. So who were the wicked? Let's, let's read Asaph's description. Verse 4 says, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind, and therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heavens, against heaven, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. So I just think that's a, a very vivid picture of who these people are. 
rich men getting richer, right? People stepping on other people. Um, it says their eyes swell out through fatness. Uh, just, just, he had seen just amazing injustice in his life. The wicked people, uh, sorry, verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts to the earth. They speak against the Lord. They turn their back on the Lord and their, the power of their words rules the earth. They want rule of the earth and so they're given rule of the earth. Their tongue struts to the earth. That's crazy. And then they question God. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are wicked. They are at ease. They increase in riches. Again, don't let me speed past this. We're going to talk a little bit about practicality. But do you have, do you have these people in your lives, you know? I don't come tonight and I don't, I don't feel like I'm speaking to these wicked people. I know a lot of you. I know most of you. And I, I don't believe that I'm speaking to the wicked people. I believe I'm speaking to the ASAPs who are looking at wickedness outside these walls and hopefully not inside these walls, but to the ASAPs who, who sit here and struggle with living in a world where, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're living in a world where the rich get richer and life just gets harder for some of us, some, else, some, some of us else. So let's keep going. So, so let's look at the frustrations of ASAP. So he's, he's confessed, God, I, I've stood in a slippery place. I've seen these people. I've seen their prosperity, and I've, I've been jealous of it. I've envied it. And then he tells you who they are, and now let's look at the frustrations. So verse 13 through 16 is what I'm going to break off. And it, it says, uh, 13 says, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I have said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed like a wearisome task. Fifteen points back. If I had said I will speak thus, I have betrayed the generation of his children. Meaning if I would have joined with them and said how can God know is their knowledge in the most high? So Asaph says, man, if I would have joined with him, I would have betrayed you. So are Asaph's frustrations ours? Um, it's a pretty big deal. You know, his, his accusations in 4 through 12, I, I don't know if you and I know any tyrants. You know, I don't know if we're oppressed to the point of slavery. I'm, I'm positive we're not. Uh, but... But do you relate with this? Like, do you see things on the outside? Are you standing before, like, uh, Asaph, I think about Cody. Uh, where's Cody? Hey, Cody. Uh, I think about Cody like, Cody, you've had a front row seat and Sarah and Brady and, and Chase and uh, Chase. and How many Chases do we have? Uh, so, like, you guys have a front row seat to this. You know, every week. And I think about Asaph, and I think about his, his declaration and his frustrations and his confession, and I think about where he stood in the temple. You know, he was just right, he had a front row seat to all this stuff. And, and what turmoil was in him, right? To, to know that God is good, to pin all these songs, to compose this song to our great and loving God, and then to just see men come in and distort and twist. And so that's where the relatability comes from. Are there, are there people that just frustrate you? Do you frustrate yourselves when you begin to distort and twist um, the goodness that God has? Do you get tired of doing uh, 
I'm doing good. I want to try and be a little, uh, a little honest. I want to try and be honest. I'm not lying the rest of the time. Let me just say, uh, you know, I read that. I read, uh, sorry, I flipped my page. I read his frustration in 13. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence for all the day long. I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. As Christians, do you get tired of doing good sometimes? You know, do you feel like, do you just ever feel like, man, is this, is this worth anything? How come I work so hard, you know, and I try to step away from sin and I try and do good. I want to appease you, Father, and I, I want to make you happy, you know. And so we sit there and we do all these things or we, we don't do the things, right? There's, it's more not doing things than doing things that, that kind of gets us where we feel like we're limited or that the world gets to do so much more. And that the world just kind of, it's, it's where, it's as if that it's so frustrating sometimes to do good because you see people doing bad and they're not doing so bad, right? In terms of their life, in terms of how they're walking. I just, I, y'all are just looking at me. I, I wasn't expecting a response, but I feel really alone right now. So uh, uh, um, sometimes it's just hard. I relate with Asaph. Asaph says, I, I've done all this in vain. It's all in vain that I've kept my heart clean. And I'll tell you in a minute where he was, what, what his mindset was. But I feel that way sometimes. Like, all the, is all of this in vain? Are we just, what, what's going on? Like, this is tough. How come I don't get to do this or go there or make this much money or do this? or, You know, maybe I'm envying the wicked. And that's why I bring this to you today. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's something in this that speaks to you. Or at least you can hear this story about uh, really a hero of our faith. Uh, so. so that's his frustration. Uh, 16, he says, but, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He says, I thought about it, and the more I sit here and talk about it, I get tired of hearing myself speak. Like I think about it, and I think about, you know, how come... Bad things happen to good people. How come good things happen to bad people? You know, who's bad? Who's good? When I think about that stuff, I just get, I get tired, right? I get tired of thinking about it. I try and understand it, and it's just, it makes me tired. Um, so here's, here's the big turn. I wish I had like some fireworks or some pyrotechnics or something, but like we've grown through a confession and some assigning of who the evil is and then his frustrations he's been super super honest uh in 17 he says this actually i'm going to read 16 again because it helps to, to have context but but when i thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task in verse 17 until i went into the sanctuary of god and then i discerned their end so here is the rub Here's where we are tonight. He goes into the sanctuary of God. And you'll see soon that just everything starts to turn. Um, It's kind of funny that this guy would write this until I went into the sanctuary of God. He spent his days in the sanctuary of God, right? Let's say 80 years. 80 years he worked in the sanctuary of God. I would have trouble for this to become profane, right? I I would have trouble for this to become just a... You know, I, know, I know it's just a set of steps, but this building would become mundane and it would become normal to me. It would not become special. 
it's special to me, honestly. I get to worship with you guys. I get to lift up the King. I get to see that cross and be reminded of His redeeming power in my life. And so for Asaph to say, you know what I, you know what I want to do? I'm going to go into the sanctuary. And honestly, guys, I, I'm standing here. I don't know. I don't know if Asaph told God, you know, I'm coming to the sanctuary. I need to talk to you. And if it was 15 minutes or if it took 80 years for him to discern what he discerned. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the other, the latter, the 80 years, right? Because I've been doing the 15 minutes every now and then. It's not, it's not going so well, right? I went into the sanctuary of God. He dwelled with God. By desiring God, spending time in Him, He rediscovered what He had forgotten. Now, your sanctuary is uh, different than Asaph's sanctuary. This place is different. Um, this place is not your only sanctuary. You guys know that. Jesus is the hero in that. He's come. He's redeemed. He came to earth and, and, and redeemed us and saved us. And he left so that the Holy Spirit could come. And then where the, where the Spirit is, there is freedom. We sang it tonight. We have a sanctuary wherever we need it. Right? And so let me, let me keep reading. I'm, I'm getting a little bogged down. But let me keep reading. Uh, verse 18 it says, uh, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So here, this is uncomfortable for me because I'm, may, I'm, I'm way more, I relate with Asaph and so I'm way more worried about Asaph and his response and he goes ahead and throws in what God's going to do to the evil people, you know, and I'm going like, ah. Um, but here he says it and this is right after he's gone into the sanctuary of God and this is a huge point that spending time with God, that God shifts his focus, he shifts his perspective. So you've gone 1 through 16, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's confession, but it's, it's, it's sin, and it's, it's griping some, and it's frustration. But now he spends time with God. God changes his perspective, and then he begins to show him. He has shown Asaph what will happen to these people. So why would I want to desire the portion of these people? You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. He says in 20, like a dream when one awakes, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. In the commentaries, it talks about God considering them as nothing more than vapor. That's their power to God. They are nothing. They are nothing. And so for me or for Asaph to look out into the world and to envy the, the gains of, of people who are, are nothing. Now, I'm not talking disregard. But if you're dealing with a person who speaking against, against God, speaking against the Lord, there is nothing they have that you want. There is nothing they have that you need. We have our portion. 21, 22, uh, like I told you before, he had grown tired of trying to understand it. He says he was, he was uh, embittered. My soul was embittered. I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. There it talks about uh, him being like an animal. He was unintelligible. And I think about that. I think about this picture of, um, I always talk about being here. And I know, I know 
this is here for us as the ring. But when I'm in these walls, it's just different. It's a different place. It's a different, um, it's a different heart. It's a different mindset because out there, not in that parking lot, this is just, that's the, the world for me is over there. So like when I'm out there, you become calloused, right? And that's what, that's where Asaph was. He was calloused. He had become dumb, uh, calloused to the things of God, like a beast. He was like an animal uh, to God. Now all this flows, believe it or not, whether I've done well explaining it or not, it flows into our uh, summer community group series on order. Josh has been preaching about consumerism. Uh, he's been preaching about a couple different topics. Uh, us not being the better kings. You know, us having problems with authority. All this stuff points to that mistrust of, of, of God, right? We see what other people have. We see what the wicked have. We're trying so hard to do so well, we feel like we're working in vain. While all these people or these, these uh, rich people have everything they could want or everything they could need. And we draw those comparison games. What it takes is, what we've continued to preach and teach, is discipline and order and God. And I could throw in a lot of words there. But it says Asaph went into the sanctuary. So he said, I'm going to turn. To go into the sanctuary, he had to turn from the world. As a beast out in the field somewhere, he quit chewing cud and he walked into the house of the Lord. And the Lord revealed himself to him. That is what it means to be in the sanctuary. And like I said, the sanctuary is so many things to us now. The Word, to sit down with your Bible in your lap and to give God time rather than to, to try and gain something that you're looking for. To look for a portion more than what He's given you. To speak with friends, not about trivial things, but about godly things. For our conversations to be peppered with, with goodness and to be intentional. These things, those are the sanctuaries. Those are the things where we're together and we're looking at our Father and we're focused on Him. We're not focused on the world. We're talking about that perspective shift, that perspective changed, change. Now let me bring you into the, into the home stretch of, of Asaph. So, confession, wicked, frustration. He goes in with God. God reveals Himself to him. And Asaph begins to know truth. And first he knows truth about the evil, right? The evil and the wicked. These guys that, I'll speak for myself, you know, that I'm envying. I'm seeing what they have and I'm envying. And uh, then he, he knows truth and he's transformed in his own, in his own mind. So let's look, at, uh, let's look at 23 and let's finish it out. 23 through 28. This is beautiful. Uh, just beautiful. So this is the same Asaph. I'm going to read it in a second. I know I keep, I keep stopping. This is the same Asaph who sat under David, sat under Solomon, sat under Rehoboam. His brother was killed. Many more members of his family were killed. He thought he might have been sitting under the Messiah. And then it was all gone. It was all gone. So 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. 
Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my God, I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. What what a turn, right? What a spin from one through sixteen to twenty-three through twenty-eight. And that's all a result of him shifting his focus and searching after God, going to God's sanctuary to know God's thoughts on things and not to rely on his own opinion. He says it in verse two, he stood on a slippery slope. Our same great God made it possible for Asaph to both confess his failings and come to a point of the truths in 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our God did that. Our God was fine with Asaph. Our God was, I believe he was happy with the confession. He was, I guess he was happy with the frustration. I think he was. Because God knows that Asaph one day is going to say or he's going to write verse 26, right? So he's fine with that. Our God is not scared, but he is wonderful. He allows us to confess and he allows us to, to praise and he allows us to be frustrated. One thing I, f- I forgot to mention, he never saw uh, vindication. Asaph's not, he's not living in a time where God came in, swooped in and just saved everything and fixed it all. The Egyptians came in, invaded the temple into Rehoboam's reign, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city. And so there's no happily ever after for Asaph, right? Asaph doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and the angel of the Lord visited and the city was rebuilt and the temple was back and the Egyptians were dead. And thank you, Lord. I, I don't know. To me, that makes it even sweeter, right? For him to sit basically in a city of ashes and to write this. I want to read it again, verse 23. Nevertheless, and look, and look at, <laughs> look at the, uh, verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. My challenge to you is that you would spend time in the sanctuary. Like I said, we're going through a summer series where we're talking about order. And so the sanctuary would be extremely high in that order. Uh, And I think, I'll speak for me and Chris and our four kids, we've got that out of whack, you know. Uh, Somewhere I got that maybe T-ball was above the sanctuary, you know, I don't don't know. There's so many things that we can can give our time and give our focus to. Um, And a lot of them seem like the pursuit of of those riches and the prosperity of the wicked, right? Right. I know those are strong words, but how we spend our time 
where we put our money, our value of our money, right? I, I say where we put the value of our money next to the giving table. You know? Are we, are we, are we out just being horrible stewards of, of the fortune that God has given us? Our time with people. Are we holed up um, in our homes or are we, are we uh, selfish with our time? You know, are, are we giving of our time? Are we the sanctuary for anyone else? You know? So, my challenge would be to take time in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary would be here in worship or in the Word or in, in fruitful biblical discussions. Um, Taylor, you're teaching on silence, right, this summer. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, solitude. Silence and solitude. <laughs> Maybe I should practice that. You know? <laughs> uh, mine, actually, I'm teaching this summer. I'm teaching on Sabbath. What a foreign concept, right? Are you, you're telling me to kind of block out a day and, and devote it to the Lord? You're crazy. You know there's only seven of those things? Um, that's crazy. Take time in the sanctuary. Allow God to give you not only a new perspective, but to give Him your, His perspective. Allow Him to give, him his pers- give you His perspective. Give Him your desires. 25. Sorry, Ashley, dragging you around. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Will you come to the end of your days and be able to say, God, there was nothing I desired besides you. No. No, you're liars if you say it because I, I, I'm, I'm making myself feel better. No. We'll not be able to come to the end of our days. Even if, if the end of my day is now, I can't go to the Lord and say, God, there was nothing I desired more than you. And that's where we need to be. And He will help us. He, Asaph didn't do this on his own. You know, He didn't just pop up and just all of a sudden turn on himself, but he had to make the choice. He did have to make the turn. He went to God, and God changed his perspective. He, he spent time, he dwelt in the sanctuary. Are there areas in your life that keep you from saying that? What are the areas? If, you, if I was to say, hey, tell me that the Lord is the greatest desire of your life, and you say, if you were being totally honest, you say, no, I, I can't really do that. Well, why not? I'm not being mean. I, I just let's think about why it is. Why? Why is it not? Why? Why is he not the ultimate in our lives? Are we walking confidently in verse 26? I'm I'm closing. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We rely on God. God, you are my portion. I need nothing else. And not only do I need nothing else, I desire nothing else. Why are we walking confidently in that? Can we say that? Or are we in beast mode? Are we out in the field just grazing on cud? Are we spending more time in his sanctuary? Are we spending more time at his feet than we are on on fruitless pursuits? on pursuits that have nothing to do with the beauty that Asaph talks about in, 23 through, in 23 through 28. My prayer is that we all would come to that place. And you guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat on you. Most of you, I see, I see week in and week out. And you're doing that. You're pursuing the Lord. He has pursued us. He loves us. He redeemed us. He chases after us. 
And so I see this. I'm not saying you guys, again, I'm not preaching to the wicked and the evil. I don't know all of you, so if there are wicked or evil people here, maybe you could raise your hand. If I could ask you to leave. No, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm preaching to the wicked and the evil. As, as an elder, I'm supposed to know if there's a wicked or evil person. I'm, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to guard the sheep from the wolves, right? And so I don't think it is that, that we're sitting here with evil people, but I know we're sitting with a lot of ASAPs. And I know that the world can look so wonderful and that the world can, can offer many things that seem so great but are so temporal and they're not the things of goodness. They're not... They're not my flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Make God your portion. And again, I know you guys are, but let's just weed out. Let's, let's stop giving ourselves over to those things that are not of Him and that are outside of His portion. Now that's my prayer for us, that we would come to the same place that Asaph did. That we would say, you know, this is not right in my life. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not good. There's not goodness in my life. I'm going to go spend some time with God. And I want to let Him show me what's good. And I want to let Him show me Himself. Right? And so, y'all pray with me. Let's, let's stop there. Father God, we pray uh, as I stand on this stage and I try and talk about this letter written so long ago, this song actually written so long ago, um, and and I and I look at my life and I look at how I can relate to it. One, it's beautiful. I thank you for letting Asaph pin that and put it in my Bible, so I could see that there are people out there who struggle just like I do, or people who have come under oppression and they not only escape. Or they not only are fine, but they say beautiful, beautiful things that inspire me to live a better life. And not just a better life, but a life more devoted to you, Father God. Lord, I pray for these people in this room. This is, uh, this is my family, Lord God. This is the body that you have put me in. And I pray for these people that we would gladly come to your sanctuary. And that it would not be the last place that we rely on but it would be the first place we run. Honestly, I wish there was some way we could never leave it. And if that has to happen in our hearts, Lord God, bring it about. Help us to never leave your sanctuary. Help us to abide and to dwell because at your feet there's just goodness, Lord God. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray for myself. If there are things in our lives that are not part of your portion for us or there's things that Maybe you don't even want us to have, but we still long for. Lord, kill those desires. Anything that's not of you, Lord God. Lord, those, those evil, wicked people, they spoke against you. And they trivialized you and they brought you low. And Lord God, we want to do the opposite. We want to bring you high and we want to lift you up. Just be praised, Father God. Lord Take away anything that would get in our way. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to seek our own fame. Help us to see your kingdom as much better than our kingdom. And may we surrender ourselves to it. Lord, we love you. 
And we're sorry when we fail you. Help us to trust and know that all this is not in vain, Lord God, but that you are in heaven and you are ours, that you long for us, that you have sent your spirit and that you have already sent your son and he has redeemed us and we are saved, Lord God. I pray for those, if there are any in this room that that don't know that, that don't know Jesus, that don't know what he's done, he's exchanged that, that heart, Lord God. I pray that they would know him. And if you need us to do that, Lord God, help us. Let us be part of your hands and feet in this room. And not only in this room, but in our city tomorrow. And not only in our city, but as we think about those in South Africa and, and the Philippines and Haiti and all our friends. Lord God, help us to rely on the sanctuary. And help us to just long for your, for your presence. Be our portion. I say that. I know we're going to sing it here in a second, Lord God. Help us to just... Help us to plea, just to, just to earnestly long for you to be our good and only portion. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.